I just think being involved, especially for the people that actually have never been involved in a renovation before, to actually get first-hand knowledge and just see how everything works from the ground up and what the challenges are, that would have been worth more than any money that they got at the end of the day out of the project. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello everyone, it's Bernadette and today this episode is going to be the post-mortem of the class project. So you may or may not know the project's been sold and it's settling in a couple of weeks and I've invited our team, our class project team on to really review how the project went and so I want to welcome Cherie and Chris. Uh, both Wonder Women and James, who is our only Wonder Bloke, to, yeah, so thank you for that, for making the time today. And so the original idea was to experiment, to see who our community wanted to contribute some money and do a project with cash. And so we did a call out and we ended up with about 20 applications, of which we ended up with 14 members. Now, the first thing I want to say is that everyone I tell this to says, 14 members, that must have been a bloody nightmare, pardon the French. (laughs) But I have to say what it has so has not been a nightmare from that perspective. Like I'm really grateful for the respect that the group has had. For that I'm really grateful because there have been many challenges. And to be honest with you, it has been the most challenging project I have ever done. So there we go. Bernadette, I think also the value of the large group was that we could do an all-cash project. Yes. So we had a lot of investors. We did not have to go to the bank. And uh, while some people were invested, passive investors only, it also made the, the project possible. Exactly. So the initial plan was a cosmetic plus renovation, which is what we do. We had a building and pest report done before we bought the property. We bought the property through our buyer's agent, Judith, and because it was in a location that I'm certainly not familiar with, and so that's really the only way to buy a property in an area that you haven't researched. So originally we intended it to be sold and tidied up well before Christmas, but we didn't factor in the impact of the post-COVID lockdowns and the post-COVID supply shortages, which really were quite challenging. For me, it was actually being able to work with Bernadette for me that was a highlight just seeing how you did things and and how you had to swivel sometimes I've done two projects before and you know you always feel that you don't know at all so I think just being able to work and and, you know with Cherie as well who's been a wonder woman for a while that was I think probably the highlight for me going into the project And Newcastle is a pretty easy drive. I know it's a long way away for all of us. It's freeway all the way, so it's great. You can catch up on podcasts, telephone calls. So for me, that's a bonus. Otherwise, I don't listen to podcasts unless I'm in the car. 
And that's the same for me too. It's always great to work with Bernadette and a fantastic team. And it's great to work with different people too. Mm. That's what I feel is a really great opportunity. And I love working with people. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never had that opportunity or it's it's not really ever been done. What would it look like and to have 14 members together and how would it be? And it's exciting to be into new things and see how they go and see what changes you'd make to uh, do it again or not do it again. I think for me, the value of the project, I mean, it it evolves. I mean, Bernadette really was like spearheaded the project, got it started, identified the strategy, shared it with us. We had meetings, which you'll see on the website under our task project articles and videos, progress. But Bernadette had held the big picture. And as the project developed, I was able to get involved more, which was really amazing because oftentimes I would drive with Bernadette or Bernadette and Stephen, we would be discussing all sorts of things, uh, the, the ways of the world as well as renovation uh, on the way and on the way back. And then we would be working together o- on the property. So that was I, was, I was a novice renovator. And now I feel like I'm maybe not an accomplished one, but I'm certainly much more confident with yeah. what I'm doing. And I learned that along the way. So, uh, and then I also made new friends. So especially Cherie, Christine, and I've got a little happy family of, of renovators who are just way, that's amazing. That's just a thrilling part for me. So I have you. to say, I that's the part I love too. I love that I never mind working on a project, even working manually on a project, if it's done as a team, because it's just so much more fun. But there was something, there's something I want to bring up here because Like I often have people say to me, I'd really love to work on one of your jobs. I'd love to be on one of your projects. And and then I have people actually turn up on the project. And I just want to say the reason you guys ended up being in the team is because you got in and did stuff. Because if someone turns up to a project like and expects to have their hand held, it just gives you another job to do. But the fact that you step up, take responsibility, and like everyone really took on a role and actually got stuff done without being... Without having the hand held. Yeah. <laughs> like it's fine to ask for directions, but I have, I've had times where someone's come and they've been more work than the project. So, yeah, that's something to think <laughs> about. when you want to, If you want to get in and learn on the job, Get in and do something. Pick up a broom. Look for stuff that could do with tidying up and, and sort of thinking. That would be some good advice. I think in the spirit of that, there was a few natural roles that kind of came out of that. And, Christine, one of your extraordinary roles was being on the phone and <laughs> hustling for supplies or trades. Or I know you've got a hugely valuable little black book out of the project, which is really a great bonus. But you were just terrific. And I know that I could see Bernadette was able to rely on each of us in different ways at different times. It was a big project to, to manage, Correct. especially in the face of the, the pandemic, a lockdown and remote uh, management of trades. And so we each did our own thing. I mean, Shuri, you and your husband were just amazing coming from Wollongong I mean, and your husband is just such a trooper. He is such a worker. 
And as a team, we got big things done, whether it was some of the painting or some of the physical tasks, as with Stephen as well. Yeah, and then one of the ones for me was spontaneously happened. I ended up being the roof guy when we realised that our roof was not in good enough condition to um, offer the property for sale. We were going down the path of having a, a new colourblind roof and somehow or another, I just got on Google and started reading. Not that others of you haven't hadn't already done that, but then I hit the jackpot with this guy, Dave the Roofer, who came over and we all talked to him. And um, he did a beautiful roof restoration. And the, the upshot of that is that the roof has a 15-year warranty. Uh, and yeah, and it costs less than half the cost of a new colorblind roof. And I know a lot about roofing. And on the apartment building I'm doing right now, you guys should roof it to repair it at minimal cost. So, yeah. yeah. Can I just say for my part, we, as far as ringing around goes, and it was a little difficult sometimes to get stuff or people, but I think this goes for any job that you do. You just don't stop until you get a yes. That is so, that is, that's the difference between someone who can get stuff done in adversity and someone that can't. Yeah, being being tenacious. Yeah. And yeah. you're great at that, Chris. <laughs> she is. She's amazing. And, uh, yeah. One of the things I realised is that, um, that a project requires research. Now, you may have a big picture idea, you may have floor plans, you may have a pretty good idea of what you're going to do, but then <laughs> to actually engage in details requires really intense research and whilst I'm my second home Bunnings has become a bit of a favorite hotspot I only really went to Bunnings when I needed to and sometimes it takes really intense research to find the answer for what you need and so research that was what Chris was doing Cherie was always on the case Bernadette was a miracle worker on Facebook Marketplace for, for resources and we got a brand, uh, it's now a brand new fence, it was a second hand fence for 500 bucks. Yes. That was a magical story. Yeah, and let's clarify that because I know people might think second hand fence is a compromising the quality and so when we got a quote from a handyman to put a picket fence up, and without gates, it was $6,500 because of the trade shortage. They can just charge what they like. It was the only person we could get to come and quote. And so when I went online, I found one that had been removed in Marrickville for $500, and it was in mint condition. Like, they took it down because they didn't like it. And so we got exactly the outcome we needed. And thankfully, Working Bee Team, David, in particular David Lamb and to some extent, David Jansen installed it and so that was a massive saving and I, I feel we spent quite a bit on the project more than I would have intended to but we could have gone you know that Why budget ever? could have blown out completely had we not used yeah. those strategies but I I believe that we still really maintained the quality and that's really oh, absolutely agree. yeah Bernadette can you talk about those strategies of sourcing trades and you know, just managing the, the, the situation, the, the project in the face of the pandemic. I certainly noticed that in Newcastle the problem was far more obvious. Like basically with any trade, we would struggle to get one person there to quote and the mm. quotes would be very high, probably around double what we would expect to pay. 
And so basically we tried all sorts of things. Like we, and I have to say, Chris definitely carried a lot of load with this. She is like a dog with a bone. That I hope that, yeah. And But one of the things that we did is because I was, I was talking to trades in Sydney about coming up and they were just saying to me it's not worth it by the time they pay for their teams to stay and blah, blah, blah. But anyhow, Sheree and David had actually stayed that week that I was, I was thinking about plasterers and painters and had stayed in some very decent accommodation and we were marvelling at how cheap it was. And then all of a sudden we got this idea, what about if we pay for the accommodation, then that takes that objection away. And so that is what we did and and got some of the trades, certainly got the two last trades that we were really struggling with to come to show up. Yeah, by paying $100 a day for, for accommodation, then that powered into insignificance. And the other thing is later on, the trades actually stayed at the house and mm. which you can value. But the great thing about that is it fulfills your insurance obligation to have someone living in the property. With our insurance policy, it was 90 days that you could have it vacant. That was a big bonus. Were there any nasty surprises that we had to handle? Well, the roof was a very big nasty surprise. Roof and asbestos, I have to say. So Assistive removal was quite expensive. I think our demolition quote was around, I think it was around $11,000, which I think I had budgeted five, but I didn't account for how much asbestos there was there. And the roof was because that didn't come up on the building report, but in reality we had to change, get new gutters, new downpipes, we had to change the fascia. We had to, and to do that, we had to take the electricity, the mains electricity supply into the house off and change the fascia. We had to get the fascia boards machined because they weren't a standard profile and it just went on and on. So that was a big, yeah, a big, so the actual roof, restoration of the roof was just a small piece of the puzzle, in fact, but yes, we got it done. Now, originally we planned, so now, I'm just thinking, so originally our feasibility was based on a uh, 1.25 sale price, but with those extra costs, then our feasibility went up to one, 1.285. Is that right? Yeah. And we got 1.28. So we got $5,000 short of our projected resale price. So when things start going wrong, which quite a lot did, you can sink into a, you can go into a hole, but the best thing to do is to look at where the market is and figure out, will the market tolerate that extra spend? And because the roof was in such bad condition, I felt that we didn't have an option because the old concrete tiles were crumbling, just everything not good on it. And I had a conversation with a couple of people in the real estate market and they felt that our price expectations in order to cover those extra costs were realistic and that proved to be correct. So sometimes there is a tendency to cut a lot of stuff out of your plan and that's fine to cut stuff out of your plan if it's not going to impact your end price. But often you shoot yourself in the foot by going like being too meagre with your budget and not doing what needs to be done to get the price. Can I just say, Bernadette, I think you brought up something really important there and that is that you actually need to have lots of conversations with your real estate agents 
that it's not something, especially in an area that you're not familiar with, to just think that, A, it's like an area that you've done before or, B, that you just know it all. I think it's really important that if you're doing that, you do actually keep having those conversations with your real estate agents. Absolutely. And the other thing, the other advantage to using a buyer's agent is that you also have that person on the ground who's got their, because they're buying for other clients, they've got their finger on the pulse from a, a sort of biased point of view. I certainly found Judith a good uh, resource for that as well. You know, the other side of this, of the complications, is how we're compensated. So Bernadette introduced the idea we have to have a wow. So we know our front entrance was this funny little old porch with a sort of a weird stairs and there was nowhere to be. It wasn't really like a grand entrance for the property. And David, who did floor plans originally, had some concepts in for the entrance, which were great. And then that evolved with under Bernadette's vision for a really beautiful entrance. And that was our first wow. And then I started to realise, like, the picket fence was another one. We also demolished or chopped down the front forest of old trees, which was really just terrible. And then we was able to put in a, a beautiful picket fence. So we just kept adding more and more wows. Another one was that what we and David and Stephen did was to create a fire pit in the backyard. So when you go around there, it was like, wow, look at that. So... We kept doing that. We had a, this amazing formula kitchen with a marble bench. We were doing it inside and out. And every one of those, from my perspective, adds more perceived value to the property. That's a really great point. And the other thing that I want to point out, and we were having this conversation in Wonder Women yesterday, is the fact that Cherie and David got going on that landscaping really early. So often that mm. tends to be left to the last. And to be honest with you, if it's up to me, it will be left to the last because I hate doing it. But they got, they really got in and got that done early. And what that meant was the, the plants that needed to be cut back really hard had recovered by the time it came to sale. And it also meant that there wasn't that, you know, often when you get to the end of the project and you're really tired and not just physically tired, mentally tired of making decisions, and you turn around and you think, oh, God, I've got to work on the outside now. Well, that's all gone because they, they had made their decisions up front. They'd started sourcing materials and, yeah, got to work. And, yeah, so uh, I think that's a valid point to remember when you're renovating houses to, to, to do that. And you probably won't have, you definitely won't have the benefit of Cherie and David because they're powerhouses. But, yeah. Well, I always think that it's really important with anything, you go into a property, I always, to get a vision, I like to cut back. It's like with anything, you go in, you clean, you clear out every room, clear out the garden as much as you can or, or want to. And so you can actually see what's going on. You have better light. If you cut back trees and things that are overgrown, you have better light, you feel this is great and and what are you going to do with it? Um and once you put your um, plants in and you just decide on your strategy with everybody else, then it starts growing. And all it is when you're going up every week or every fortnight is just a little bit of maintenance, getting the lawn going, adding some fertiliser, watering up, this kind of thing. And then it, it just needs a little bit of a haircut before you're actually going to go to sale. 
and it, you can see that it's not all new and it's establishing. Another thing in the spirit of that was also the styling. And I had very little to do with the styling. I'm a complete novice and as a bloke, probably in my early stage of understanding throws and cushions. But nevertheless, <laughs> the styling I know was evolving by you guys from the very beginning. And oftentimes the boot of my car was full of stuff for styling, even though it was it might have been months before it was actually used, but the concept was there and Bernadette was ordering minimal new stuff, but resources and putting stuff together. So unless you're going to go for, you know, big bucks on a styling budget with an extra styler, that needed to be evolved over time. And I saw that coming together beautifully. We should talk about the kitchen because kitchens are often, I was watching a thread on a Facebook group the other day and women were talking about how much their kitchen had cost. And the majority of them were between fifty and 90000 which I like completely surprised and that's always a challenge with our projects because I don't think I ever budget any more than 20000 for a kitchen but we do need to deliver quality and in this scenario that presented a problem because normally if we can't get a custom kitchen on time like often a custom kitchen doesn't cost you anymore it's just slower and but we couldn't do that this time because we were heading into Christmas and the it, it was just too hard but that hack wasn't an option because we just couldn't get everything we needed from IKEA. And so we found this You even had you even had things in the shopping cart, didn't you, Bernadette? I did IKEA. actually I did actually buy the kitchen and then realized that most of the doors weren't available and I waited and then ended up having to get it refunded because it just wasn't going to turn up. But but then found a kitchen in a display centre for a developer. That was so resourceful. It was also mm-hmm. serendipity. But, yeah, so but the thing <laughs> is, like a lot of people, like I get that if when it's your own home it, it, it's different, but when you are renovating for profit, often you have to design through necessity. So basically we've designed for a white kitchen. We, we, the walls would have been white on white. We had this clear, had our palette nutted out. But, of course, this kitchen was wood grain uh, with white overheads but the white was a warm white and the wood grain was warm. So that meant changing the plan and making sure that we had, it was consistent with the rest of the house. So instead of white on white, we had to convert to natural white so that it was uh, more sympathetic. And so we went for a natural coloured curtain and I was really happy with the outcome. I think it looked really calming and, and graceful and but. That's, that is just being able to pivot that that has you do that. So as a result, we bought a full kitchen with all merely appliances. So it was probably worth forty or fifty thousand for eight thousand dollars, and that included the Carrera stone and everything. There were like, obviously it cost us more than that to get it in, but it probably wouldn't have cost us any more than about fifteen, I think, in total. So a great solution, and that's another. Thing that Chris was able to, I guess, help us to complete because the original kitchen was built into stud walls and so it didn't have the end panel. With her tenaciousness, actually found <laughs> yeah, Inspector the original um, cabinet maker, got them to machine up two full panels 
which, by the way, ended up being the same price if, as if we had bought panels from IKEA. And so that completed the look. So I think that was an excellent um, outcome. Sheree, you mentioned the serendipity, and certainly I think we're all we're part of experiencing that. So I want to remind our listeners of episode 149, where it's specifically about using the power of serendipity with renovations. Yes, yes, we love manifesting. Another manifestation we did was, was the wardrobes, and we ended up buying IKEA wardrobes and had them delivered within two days of placing the order, which was amazing because everything that we tried to do up until then, we were being promised three months delivery or April this year or something like that. It was just impossible and end up a good solution. And I'm happy to say that it finally passed the Bernadette test of when, when we fitted it with these kind of edge panel, what do you call it, architrave around around the edge of the, yep. of the wardrobes. That worked out well. We were able to install it ourselves after having it delivered for, I don't know, next to nothing. Within a day, it was 5 a.m. in the morning it was delivered. I had a text message sent me with the photos oh, yeah. of it already inside the house. Awesome. So um, yeah. that worked out well too. Yeah, and well, the weather, the weather like was not- a challenge as well. Oh, yeah. Everything was a challenge. Remember the, the gyp rock was going to be delivered and they they said, well, just pop it out on the back deck. It was just absolutely pouring. I think we got someone around there, Speedy Gonzalez, and uh, let them yeah. in. And, yeah. I know. And, Continual yeah, challenges. And just things like because supply was so limited, they couldn't provide the sheet sizes that we'd ordered. So if we'd ordered a 2.4-metre sheet, it might come in a 5-metre sheet. And so we ended up with all this, like, probably almost double the gyprock that we needed, which also, once again, more material handling, more rubbish, yes, lots of... And sand and paint. And <laughs> um, finishing off with any project yeah. always has, and in fact, I just uh, suggested to James that we do a whole episode on finishing off because that is where the tears usually happen, the intensity of the project catches up with you and you do start to feel very frayed and so yeah I think when you're feeling frayed that you just have to do dig deep and remember the simple things in life and if you just stick to a routine and you and remember put your oxygen mask on first your well-being uh, what can I do I can debrief with people I can call a friend I can, let's have a meeting at Euro and have an extra long coffee. There's always people around that can support you. Bernadette was always there, is always there. Also other people in the group and she renovates and Facebook and websites and there's lots of places that you can actually talk to people and to never feel alone with it and it'll get done in the end with a little Absolutely. help. Absolutely. We should have support we had support and encouragement from in, from our choir in the background too. Lucy came and visited us with her family, which was amazing, and she was one of our investors. Other people um, sent us a little happy hamper of well-being things. Yeah, we generated some our uh, support, and I love what you said there, Cherie, about call a friend and reach out. So um, yeah. given that I'm near the end of a current renovation and I ran Bernadette last night to cry on her shoulder, I thought, yep, I know the feeling. Yeah. It's, a, it's another end of a project. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and there's all that. And I think like Bernadette was saying um, when she was talking at the beginning about do you know, how do you know the market's going to support things? Do you know the market's going to support? Well, in the end, I think where do gut feelings come from? And you should go with your gut. But what is the psychology of the gut feeling? The gut feeling is that you can reach out, speak to others, ask their opinion, but in the end, your experience and where you've been, what you've done, all come together to actually give you this gut feeling. And in the end, like someone could say, don't go with that design, I know better than you, don't go with that design, but your gut feeling, which is experience, you say, no, I'm prepared to take that and that risk maybe, and you go with it. And yeah. it works out. Yeah. yeah. I do think most of our decisions worked out. One decision that didn't work out was the awnings. So I actually ordered uh, replacement awnings online and they just weren't up to scratch. Now, but I really believe that you need to be really confident about your product. So the project sold even with the awnings that I felt didn't look their best. But I still went ahead afterwards and ordered the warnings. Even though we don't have to spend the money, I really feel that you need to have, if you're going to feel good about what you do, you need to have integrity around your product. The new And the new owner's got to choose the new warnings. It's like serious, it was $600. It's not a massive amount of money. But it gives us sleep at night comfort and knows that we get delivered. Can I just say, I think that integrity is really good and towards the end of the project, I think we've all stayed there a night, but towards the end of the project, I stayed there one of the nights and can I just say, it was a beautiful home to be in at the night time. It was a lovely home to wake up in in the morning. I I have to say, I think we can all go to sleep at night thinking that whoever the new owners are, are going to sleep well and really enjoy the place. I feel exactly the same. Exactly the same. For sure. Yeah, I was thrilled to, to sleep there and turn on and off the, the bed lamps and the night lights that I had personally selected um, for the master. It was a beautiful home. You know? It is a beautiful home. Mm. And the transformation from what we bought was absolutely remarkable. Yeah. So I really appreciate the experience. I feel like I've embarked on a new enthusiasm for renovation and notwithstanding occasional exhaustion and, oh, my goodness, moments, I'm really excited. So thank you, Bernadette. Thank you, team. It was just awesome. Yeah, I'd agree. I think we all found Mm. it really enriching. I I think it was great for what it was intended to be, which was a learning project. I don't think anybody expected to make a lot of money out of it. it. Obviously, we're all going to make something, but I just think, being involved, especially for the people that actually have never been involved in a renovation before, to actually get first-hand knowledge and just see how everything works from the ground up and what the challenges are, that would have been worth more than any money that they got at the end of the day out of the project, especially they would only be part of this group if they actually wanted to renovate. So it's obviously something they want to do moving forward. Beautiful. What we do next Mm. remains to be decided. But the, the great news is that the project sold in the, in the sale period in three weeks. Um, it delivered our outcome within $5,000. Now, we could probably have hung out the more, but I think the nature of the, and if you were doing this yourself, you might have 
hung out for more, but uh, I always think my mum taught me something. Do you remember when AMP went public and they released all their shares? And so we yes. had, I think they released them, they, the value was went up to $25 or something, and mum got quite a lot and so did. We bought more. She sold hers the day that she got them and she said to me, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. She sold hers for $25 yeah. each. We bought more, but close enough too. We still have those, and I think they're worth about two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, so, Mum. Yeah. yeah. So I, that is a lesson I learned. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other important thing to remember is not to be too greedy. I think when people are greedy, that's when sometimes you can come unstuck. A fair amount is a fair amount, no matter what you're doing or what you're selling or buying. And I think if you're yeah. not too greedy, well, I worked you're okay. out, our buyer paid thirty nine percent more than we did for the property. So I think that's the way. Mm-hmm. It didn't have nearly <laughs> as much fun. <laughs> Well, listen, um, thank Um, you to all of you. I have loved working with you. It's been, as always, lots of fun. And and thanks for being on the episode. I hope our um, investors and our listeners got some value out of this project. Um, Yeah. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.